Hey, I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And as I say in every episode, and man, does it get hard sometimes. My name is Mitch Schultz, and I am your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. I appreciate so much the feedback I've been getting from a number of people who listened to the podcast from two weeks ago where I interviewed elders at the church where I attend and discussing how elders' uh, relationship to the pastor is so important. Uh, It's been encouraging to hear from elders who say, hey, that really helped us a lot. And uh, in fact, a number of cases where I've been helping a pastor, the elders of that pastor have said, hey, thank you for that. That really helps us to know how better to support our pastors. So that's the kind of thing I love to hear. Uh, So thank you so much for that. Uh, You've noticed we we talk often here in these podcasts about resilience in ministry. What does it take to to be resilient in ministry, to have perspective? Again, that's why my vision for this is to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. Uh, And uh, we we talk, too, uh, a lot about developing a proper theology and perspective of suffering, a, a good, clear understanding, biblical understanding of, of suffering. You know, we live in a hard world. Uh, the, the context in which we serve Jesus, in which we live out our faith, this gospel, is hard. Uh, the world in which we uh, serve is a hard world. And Jesus told us it would be this way. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he came to Christ, was knocked off his high horse, literally, was told by God through the prophet Ananias in Acts chapter 9 that Paul would suffer much for the kingdom of God. So it didn't come as a surprise to Paul because it was his assumption that, hey, uh, this comes with that commitment. And Peter tells us in that amazing epistle of his that we're not to be surprised when we face trials of many kinds. And of course, James says the same thing. So given this this contextual reality for living out our faith, we, we've listened to a lot of stories. I, I interview people who tell us their story, who talk to us about the lessons they've learned. Uh, and I'm excited, in fact, in a couple weeks to put out a podcast by uh, one of my favorite authors, Gerald Sitzer, uh, the book A Grace Disguised. I had the privilege yesterday of interviewing him. Uh, So you're going to hear his story of how his faith was stretched, his soul was stretched through suffering, a tremendous experience of loss that he had. But the story we're going to hear today is from Pastor Bob Harner, uh, is another example of this, of uh, living out the faith, the gospel in a a hard world. It was in November of 1977 that Bob was a student here at Toccoa Falls College, and if you've had any connection with his college, and you hear the month November, you hear the year 1977, you know what I'm going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about uh, the tragedy that hit this college when an earthen dam uh, early in the morning of November 6th burst millions of gallons of water, poured across the campus, killed, I think, up to 39 people, many of them students, uh, a number of, uh, of, of cup, married couples. In some cases, nearly an entire family were taken away from us. And that's Bob's story. He tells... Uh, uh, his account of desperately watching his wife and only child ripped away by the currents of that water in the early morning, little time to even understand what was going on. Uh, it's a hard story to hear, but one also, uh, as Bob is able to reflect on uh, years later, it's a story woven with a, a strong thread of redemption. So we're going to jump right ahead into that story 
and uh, take you to uh, Bob's account of surviving the flood of 1977 and what life has been like since then for him. You're going to love this. All right, I have the privilege today to have on the other end of my screen, Mr. or Pastor Reverend Bob Harner. Uh, Bob, it's so good to talk to you today. I really appreciate you taking your time and especially taking the time to talk about a subject that uh, is, you know, an old uh, story, but I'm sure is still in many ways very fresh to you. Thank you. Good to be with you. And you are in uh, Pennsylvania? No, Zanesville, Ohio. Ohio. Okay. I I always get those two confused. You know, they're right next to each other. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I I know it's uh, probably cold up there and you look like you've, you've got a sweatshirt on. Do you not have heat in your home? Oh, we, we have a little bit of heat, but we don't run the thermostat too high. And um, so I supplement with kerosene heater because I get free fuel. Oh, excellent. And and a sweatshirt. You supplement it with a sweatshirt, it looks like. I, I do, mostly because I'm going in and out. But <laughs> There you go. All right. Well, hey, let me set this up this way. I live in, in a place called Tacoa, Georgia. And obviously, those who have connections with this small town in Northeast Georgia, know about Tacoa. It has a small Christian college by the name of Tacoa Falls College, and it's referred to as Tacoa Falls because it has a waterfall, uh, quite a large waterfall. I always think it's funny. I think there's a sign at the entrance that says uh, something about it being bigger than or taller than Niagara Falls. Um, right. of course it's, it's probably a hundredth of the width of it, but it's a little taller, something like 116 or 123 feet or something like that. Um, there used to be a lake over, uh, on top of the college. And, uh, of course, uh, those that know the story know that in, in November of 1977, um, a tragedy happened there. And so let, I'm just going to go ahead and jump in and uh, have you tell a bit the story uh, about that story. Well, that was the year that uh, we had moved to Tacoa, and uh, we had a very clear calling of God to that place. And initially, when we arrived, we and we lived we off. being we being your wife, and did you have children? Yes, one son had a son that was almost two. Well, just over two, I guess it was. So she was from Thailand, and um, so we lived up above the campus and then on October 15th we had been being encouraged to move down onto the campus to help Tiap have relationships with people that would um, would help her with her English okay and okay so a spot opened up on the 15th and we moved down and began setting up our our trailer down there and we're all ready for winter when on the I guess it was actually on the third that it started raining. And we had about three days of pretty continuous rain when, in the middle of the night, uh, the dam broke and we started hearing people yell, get out, get out. We started moving towards the front of our trailer and the trailer was pushed off the blocks by the water. So we went to the back of the tr- our back door. Now, at this point, you were, you were feeling the water pressing against the, the trailer? Right. You could feel mm-hmm. uh, it. It actually knocked it off the blocks that were supporting it. And so we went to the back door, and a car floated up to the back door. And because of our concern for the trailer going underwater or being broken up, we didn't want to be inside if that happened. And we jumped on top of the car, hoping we might be able to float to 
to safety on top of the car. About that time, the our neighbors, um, they also came out of their trailer. It hadn't been knocked off, so they, I saw them in the moonlight coming across and trying to get up the hill on the other side of a drainage ditch that was behind our trailers. And uh, so the wife, uh, Cassie Metzger, um, was, I could see her hand sticking above the water, and I jumped off the car to try and and grasp her but i missed and about the oh. time i was starting to get back up on top of the car my wife and son were thrown off one side of the car and i was thrown off the other side and so we went through the we went through the waters and um i tried jumping off the bottom several times um a couple of times there were boards with nails by this time in the water and from building breaking up and things of that nature and, and you know what, you know what's happening obviously as this is all yeah, occurring. I, I was very much aware. I, but at the same time, I was in Old Testament uh, survey course, taking Old Testament survey course. We were reading the chapters, and the psalmist was, we were in the Psalms, and uh, David speaks of water going over his head, and so all these things started coming into play in my thinking as I'm going through this. And I tried to break surface. I jumped off the bottom, uh, three times, or well, actually twice, and each of those times, nails went through my feet, and then it was like suddenly a hand grabbed me by the shoulder and pulled me up. I was at a point where I saw this vision, a figure of a man and with the light behind him, and it was like he put up his hand to say, stop. So it was at that time then that this hand grabbed me, and or this sense of a hand grabbed me and pulled me up and there was a car floating by me with a window broken out and I grabbed onto that and um, it pulled me off to the side of the main current. Uh, if you've ever watched streams, you'll notice a lot of times when there's a cur curve or something like that on the one side of the stream, there'll be a some leaves and debris and stuff like that that kind of uh, change the, the edge the of the yeah, yeah. current. So um, I was pushed over into an area like that, and I thought, well, I'll jump up on, I'll get up on top of the car and just kind of wait this thing out and see if the water goes down. And um, as and I was getting up on, pitch, it's pitch black, or are you sort of seeing things from lighting around here? Moonlight. There's moonlight around. Okay. Okay. It was. A, I think it was a. It was a pretty full moon. Okay. Um, I don't know if it was a completely full moon or three-quarter or something like that but it was there was some light you could see and so as i started to get up on the car uh the car started to move so i jumped towards the debris that was built up and i made my way to shore i would climb on top and then i'd fall through and climb up on top again and finally i i reached the shore mm. and there were a group of other students and students families that had gathered there from the trailer park we just kind of huddled together on mm. the hill and and you're you're wondering what has happened to your wife and your son. I was, and I I was pretty convinced they were dead. Wow. Uh, my wife was a bit on the hydrophobic side. She didn't know how to swim, and I knew that. I I fully assumed that the only way she could make it is if it was God's intention and perfect will for her to make it through that. Mm. So, and I knew that I knew that a little two year old boy. What, no way, yeah. Wow, wow. How much, uh, how much time went elapsed by, or lapsed by the time, you know, uh, your trailer 
started to rock and you ended up with those group of students? I have no idea. I'm not mm-hmm. even sure what time uh, people started yelling, get out. I, yeah. I just yeah. got up and started. Well, all this fun. happened around two in the morning, right? I don't have any rec- uh, recollection of it. I believe the things that have been written about it and uh, what I've heard, it was it was certainly early morning. So yeah, pick, pick up from there. You're standing there with the students. You have no idea what's happened, your, your wife and your son. Well, some of the some of the people were not able to be moved. I remember that um, one of the ladies, uh, Sue Veer, had her face severely smashed. Uh, some of the one of the young men came out. I think he was pretty much naked, mm-hmm. and so I had a, a jacket that I'd thrown on, thinking this wasn't going to be the adventure that it became. And so I took that off and gave it to him. And we, I know there was some prayer. And I, there was someone who was starting to quote some scripture, mm-hmm. and there, there were, there were some choruses, some songs that were being hummed as different people would. It was like God was was taking us and drawing us together. And then rescue workers came back, and they took Sue, and the rest of us started walking out. I, for me, I remember there being this time of a rededication. Uh, I was walking towards the back of the group, and the chorus, I have decided to follow Jesus, kept coming through my mind. I don't know if it came out of my mouth or not, but Mm. I remember that repeating in me over and over again. On the way out, there was a house that I believe that it belonged to the Richie's grandmother uh, or grandparent. Anyhow, we went and we tried the door. We needed to get out of the weather. And uh, we thought we were looking for a place we could get in and just settle. And the, the house, we saw that it was twisted on the foundation, but the front door was unlocked, so we went in. And as we sat there, uh, from the moonlight coming through the window, I saw a phone. And I thought, well, that'd be cool if this thing was connected. And it was. Mm. And so I called my parents and asked them to let them know what happened and ask them to let the prayer chain at work or at, at my church up in Ohio uh, know so that they could begin praying. And then when daylight came, we we walked out and one of the professors that was just up the road, he came and he took us to his home. And from there, we started getting some clothing and stuff. And, and, and I, how, how are you, how are you, pro, how are you functioning and processing knowing that there's a good chance your wife and son did not survive this? Well, I told them I needed to get back down to campus. Now, initially, they weren't allowing anyone to go across the bridge because the bridge there on 17, um, I think it's 17, right? Yeah. Um, the bridge there um, had been moved some by the waters and the debris that backed up at the bridge. So it got a lot of pressure from the, the floodwaters coming down. And so I went over to the hospital once the, we were allowed to go across the bridge. And I was told that there was no word of them. And I went on to campus, and one of the students that I had known just for a couple months, she said, oh, no, I'm, I'm sure they're alive. I'm, they're alive. And I said, did you hear that? Did you, has somebody told you that? She said, no, but I just have this confidence. And I'd been in the military before. I wasn't a younger student, so I had, I had some ideas about shock and what it does to you and stuff. And mm-hmm. so I began attributing that to her going, the way she was handling shock. And um, a little bit later, someone someone said they have found your 
your wife, you need to go down to mm. the hospital to identify her. And so I went down to the hospital, and when they pulled back the sheet, my son was laying next to, next to his mom. They were able to put the two together because um, she had a locket on her with his picture in it. And so that's how they were able to match her. Well, there were... Wow, Bob. I, it, it's, uh, it, it, you know, I've known the stories, I've heard the stories and, you know, we're, we're at the falls quite often and we see the big stone there with the names of, uh, 39, I think people who, who perished, uh, from that tragedy and, and often looking at, you know, I know you from when I was in college here and I often think about what that's like. And just to hear it personally from you this way is, uh, is very moving, very emotional. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, obviously something that was repeated, uh, for each of those 39 nine families or at least 39 people because uh, quite a, quite a few there are several families where four or five uh, were taken uh, in a family and and of course you, you know again just to kind of repeat here if people are not familiar with the story the lake was over the campus the large amount of rain uh, it was an earthen dam that uh, just gave gave out and no one apparently ever anticipated that that could happen. Uh, if it had, they would, I think there was some warning from the Corps of Engineer, from what I understand that. Uh, some of the firemen had evidently, they were keeping an eye on the stream, on the creek. And there were some changes that were making them think that something was changing. My understanding is that a couple of them had gone up to the, the, the dam and they were racing back to, to warn us that it was that it was about to burst. Yeah, yeah. And one of those was, I believe, David Fletterjohn. And uh, he, was, he was killed as he came down. I don't know if he had a chance to warn anybody before it happened, but, uh, but he, he perished as he, was, as he was returning to warn people. Um, and then we're looking at, you know, relatively, I mean, it's a sl- small lake. I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 million gallons of water and, and all of that pouring at one time. Um, you know, I, I don't think the whole thing lasted a long time, but certainly left its mark. I was in college in 80 through 85, and you could see the, the lines on the trees still where the watermarks right. were. You no, you no longer can, um, but that was always very vivid to me. My sister was at, at uh, attending the college when this happened, and we were living in Atlanta and got the phone, you know, heard what had happened. She came back. Uh, I was in high school. Uh, I believe in 10th grade. And as we would go to uh, drive to school, we'd listen to the radio and um, they would, they would list the names of the people that had, uh, that had perished there. Um, Well, so what, what were, you know, again, it's fascinating to me. I did not know this, that they had asked you to move to the lower part of the campus, you know, essentially moving you into the, into the zone of where the flood would come. (laughs) How do you process that? Oh, for me, before we moved to Tacoa, we sensed that God had called me as a teenager, and I sensed I should go to Tacoa, but there were some things that happened that made that more difficult, and I, so I went, I went to a college up here in northeast, or northwestern Ohio for a year, and then I was eligible for the, the lottery, you know, the one that took you to Vietnam, and mm. uh, I got a really low number, which meant you were going. Oh my, you're uh, that old, Bob, I didn't realize that. <laughs> Yeah, my draft number was 44. They were taking the first 270 in those in that time frame. And so I knew I was going, so I joined the Air Force. Kind of walked away from the Lord for a while. But when I got married, um, there were some things that happened that God really challenged me 
mm. and my own spirit. Did you meet your wife in I, Vietnam? Uh, in Thailand, yes. In I, Thailand. I wasn't in Nam itself, but I was in. I was a bomb loader, and so um, they usually send in the bombs from the outside of the Vietnam. So anyhow, when I came back to Ohio, I had rededicated my life to Christ. Tom and Sandy Wisely, who were missionaries in Ubon, uh, Thailand, they had led my wife to the Lord, and we were working with children in the church and or youth in the church primarily, cleaning the church, just doing whatever we could, wanting to serve our Lord. In December of 76, God started prodding our heart about going back to the school. And so I used my GI Bill and we started, we, I sent in my application in January and we had just bought a house the previous July. It wasn't much of a house. It was a basement on an acre of land and we paid $7,000 for it. So that gives you some idea of how much of a house it wasn't. <laughs> and by everything was we'd done everything we could do in the by that point in February. And March came, April came, May came, June came, July came and ended and we had not been accepted nor had we had any offers at all on our house. We went to a Bible and Missions Conference and there at the Bible and Missions Conference the speaker was speaking out of James five on healing, but the Holy Spirit was applying everything that he was saying. To us and both TF and I felt like we should spend some time in prayer and so uh, I had an aunt and uncle that were there and they took our son and we just got down on our knees before the Lord and spent about mm. an hour together in prayer and when we got up TF turned to me and said our house is going to sell this week and I said yeah I know and I'm going to be accepted too and kind of took the words out of her mouth God had said the same thing to both of us Monday Tuesday and Wednesday went by and nothing but Wednesday night one of the elders from the church that had done a personal recommendation for me passed me in the hall and he was also the the guy who would do follow-up on how I was doing leading the youth and stuff like that see if there were any situations that he could be praying for me about or counseling me and normally uh, we'd have a little discussion there but that night, he just kind of walked past me and said, Bob, I think you should call Tacoa tomorrow. So Thursday morning on my, uh, and this is the second week of April now, or August, excuse me. The second week of August, um, I called them on my first break and the line was busy, so I couldn't get through. And I tried again at noon when I had my lunch break and the voice on the other end of the line said, just a minute, let me go through this stack of applications. And mine was about three down and she said, you were just accepted a half hour. Nice. So I was kind of excited. So I went back to eat my lunch and I took two bites out of my sandwich. The boss comes out of the office and says, Bob, there's a phone call for you. And it was my realtor. And he had someone that wanted to look at that house that night. Perfect timing. Wow. That night, our house sold. Well, the next morning, our house sold for twice as much as we paid for it less than a year earlier. Excellent. When you ask the question, how did you process? There was this aspect that I couldn't deny God's involvement in the whole thing. You know, um, it was just so... It was just so clearly his hand. It's amazing how people can view tragedy so differently. You know, I uh, I, I helped. Te- I uh, just did a, a class at the college uh, a couple weeks ago and talked about suffering, the role suffering has in spiritual formation. And I talked about the importance. You know, I'm sitting here. 
talking to 19, 20 year olds. Uh, and, and part of me knows they won't get it until something happens to them, but at least they might remember this. But uh, I talked about the importance of having a theology of suffering or doctrine of suffering. And I, I talked about three rocks that have to be in place in your life. And I actually physically had rocks that I would pull out with the name of or the, the statement. But, uh, you know, just the, the belief that God's sovereign. Uh, and because he's so- sovereign, he's in complete control. And he's also just. I think part of his sovereignty is just where there's things that seem uh, unjust. He will, in the end, be just, you know. And uh, secondly, he's good. And since he's good, we can trust him with what's going on. And then the third thing, he's purposeful. And Jerry Bridges uses the term wisdom uh, instead of, uh, he uses the same, the two other ones, you know, a sovereign and, and good or loving, he uses that phrase too. Uh, but you talked about God's wisdom. You know, it's, it's just remarkable to hear uh, someone just so immediately rely on that and depend on that. Uh, and even when things were totally rocked away, you know, taken away from you, you know, the assumption that God's calling the two of you, you're going to have a future serving together, and then boom, things went the way they did. And it didn't change the pain of it. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, yeah you, you can live with those realizations still hurt. Yeah, and, and knowing that he's in the middle of it, reduced reduces or changes the perspective. And, and uh, even the, the being asked to move to the lower campus, to that part, uh, that happened how, how, how long before the flood? Well, the door opened three weeks before the flood. Okay. From October 15th to November 6th, basically three weeks. Yeah. And, um, so what, what were the months like following for you? you, know, did you, you uh, I know the school closed for a while, reopened in January, which was remarkable. Did you go back in January? Uh, I did. Let me think this through. I first of all, we we still had we had some time left in that semester. One of the things that I remember is after the flood, I could not memorize anything, mm. and I had been in evangelism class where you had to memorize verses and stuff. Dr. Good had been my professor, and I had been getting all A's and B's up to that point. But afterwards, I just I couldn't remember. Mm. Uh, there physically, there was like. And you can watch my skin under my under my skin. You can watch the the muscles kind of undulate. Uh, and there was just this stress. My my blood pressure jumped up in that time frame and has never gone all the way back to normal. But there were physical things going on. There were mental things going on. There were spiritual things going on. Oh. And I was I was going to fail evangelism class, and I'm going, boy, if I can't get if I can't get my memory straightened out, I'm never going to pass this thing. <laughs> so because yeah, that required a lot of scripture memorization, if I remember. Yeah, he gave me a deadline to. He had one test that he had not recorded, and he said he turned it back to us. I said, well, it must be in my briefcase down there somewhere in the plane, or I don't know, it may have gone down the river. About it was just a couple days before. He'd give me a deadline that I had to have that that accounted for if he could pass. And uh, sure enough, the day before, a student walks up with my briefcase and says, I opened this and found your name in it. You're talking so about a briefcase that had been lost in the flood. Yeah. Oh, my. So oh. I, I opened this up and I, I take this mud water damage <laughs> test back to Dr. Good, and that's how I passed that is amazing. What a story. Wow. So, so little, little things that seem insignificant, but sure. yet they're part story. Yeah. Um, so you, you, you just continued, um, you know, again, with the grieving, obviously others are grieving, uh, no doubt feeling the support of a lot of people. Um, I mean, the whole, the whole campus was, was stunned, I know. And, uh, but, um, you know, you, you were just committed to keep, keeping your training, weren't you? Yeah. Well, the, 
Did you I want to quit? So cool. were, there, were there times where you wanted to quit? Oh, yeah. But mm-hmm. I had a pastor. I wanted to smack him. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I, I was talking to him about not going back. And he's, he quotes to me out of, I think it's Matthew, anyone that lays his hand to the plow and turns back isn't worthy of me. And I'm, going, oh, I'm not worthy of him anyhow. Yeah. <laughs> but wow. it, was, it was a word of encouragement to me eventually that um, allowed me to go forward. So, um, so um, what do you, I don't know if this is a fair question to ask you. I know I sent this ahead of you. I don't know what you, 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 you said, you wrote back and said that, you know, everything looks good. Um, what do you remember the most? I mean, this has been, you know, 40 some years, uh, close to 40 years, right? Uh, no, actually 41 years. Um, 41, what, what now. Sta- 41, yeah. What stands out to you? What, what's hard to shake off? I think there's some times where, where I just get angry with people. God was so clearly present and patient with me in those days that I just think people should get it and they don't. Wow. Uh, we, well, you were just talking about the class you were teaching on the theology of suffering. The American church has become so comfort-oriented. We refuse to choose suffering even. And it's apparent from Scripture that God calls us to do that. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1, I think it's verse 24, that I, I bear in my body the, the suffering that's lacking on the part of Christ for the yeah. church. And, you know, I, I want to be understanding of people. I want to be accepting of that attitude, but it just drives me nuts down yeah. to my core. And I don't know if I'll ever get beyond that. Yeah. Well, it's certainly understandable. Um, what What do you... Again, it's forty years back. Um, you know, you've had you've had many years to uh, you know to to be shaped by this. How, how has this shaped your faith? How did it shape your call? Maybe you can talk a little bit about where this led you to. Because I know you were you served as a missionary overseas for a while. So take take a few minutes and kind of describe. You know, graduating, moving on. What was that like? Well, before I graduated, I did take some time off and uh, I did some work and I had found a girl up home that had been a part of the youth group that had grown up Mm -hmm. and um, asked her to be my bride and she said yes and Mm -hmm. so God's blessed us with three children and so how long was it after the the loss of your wife and son that you you remarried we remarried I remarried in June of 79 so from November two two years later Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, not quite, but I think I was the last one to remarry after the after the flood. But yeah, so we we did some growing together, and um, mm. we had a sense that things weren't in as much of a rush. We needed to go together and prepared, um, and we wanted to do that well. I went from Dakota to Columbia Graduate School for a year, and then after Columbia. We had planned on coming back to Ohio where we could be close to our families because she's from Ohio also. We thought it would just be good to be near our parents. When we were at Columbia, we were listening to one of the Columbia radio stations and they had a a program called Conference Pulpit. And the speaker this one week was a guy by the name of Charlie Long who had been a missionary to Vietnam. The Spirit of God was on. And as listen to him speak we just made a point to listen every evening so on the friday night of that week we had been listening to him we got we didn't have a phone in our we were living in a double wide trailer and our landlord lived in this nice area on the we were in a goat farm (laughs) and they lived in this nice yeah so he comes over that night and he says you have a telephone call so we went over to 
I went over to get the telephone call while Diane kept the kids to bed. And when I came back, uh, or when I picked up the phone, the voice on the other end of the line said, Hi, this is Charlie Long. And it was like, all of a sudden, the spirit said all the things he's saying mm -hmm. about this. This is where I want you to go. Take your next step. <laughs> it's all laid out for you. And I returned to the trailer and I, I told Diane, I said, um, she said, who was it? Because we, th we assumed that the only people that knew that phone number was our family. So we were assuming an, something had happened with one of our parents. And I said to her, you won't believe this. It was Charlie Long. Oh, no. We're going there, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> So while we were while we were at Northridge Alliance Church as a youth pastor there, because uh, we did go Raleigh, North Carolina, I believe, right? Correct. Something else had been happening. Okay. First of all, Charlie had been asked to come and candidate up in Mansfield, Ohio, and while he was up there, or while he was while he was at the beach praying and fasting about whether he should go or not, the Spirit spoke to him. He took some reading material, and everything was about Guinea and how it was just being reopened and stuff like that. After 20 years of being closed by the government, there was now opportunity for missionaries. Yeah, you said Guinea, Af Guinea, Africa, right? Correct. Guinea, West mm -hmm. Africa. When he came back, he said, I believe God wants our church to take responsibility for the evangelization of Guinea. Mm. And God had given him the name, I think it was about 20 couples from the church who had different areas of specialty, uh, mm. trained in discipleship, but not according to the Alliance's program of that day. Again, as he started telling this, Spirit started telling me before he said what he said. And I go, that's where God has for us mm. to go. We'd done all of our preparation for Thailand because I could read and write Thai and could speak Thai, though it wasn't very fluently, but uh, we just assumed God would take us to Thailand. Besides, I like Thai food. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good motivation to me. Yeah. You can also come to my so, house yeah, too, though. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, um, God ended up taking us, calling us to Guinea through this uh, situation with Charlie. We had all of our, all three of our children before we left to go to Guinea, and God called us to a people group called the Kpele people, which were on the far eastern end of the country, which was the farthest in inland, uh, as opposed to in America, the farthest east is on the coast. So we worked with this tribe of 400,000 people uh, that had about 3,500 believers when we arrived there. And during the, it was really about 10 years we worked with that tribe, and then the mission started realigning teams and things of that nature, and we started doing church church ministry team, where we worked with several tribes that had the church planted in them, and the rest of them were Muslim ministry teams, each one working with their own, their own um, Muslim So, uh, again, we just got a few minutes left here, so total, you were how many years overseas then? We went in 87 and came home in 2007. So okay. basically, okay. I mean, there were a couple of years in between there that... Sure, sure. Uh, okay. Well, hey, to, to kind of wrap this up again, it, it's uh, it's something that is part of the history of, of this college and, and this community. Uh, you know, occasionally I hear people still talk about it. Um, this story, I think, is going to be a fresh reminder of, of the cost and the impact on many, many lives. I mean, you're one out of dozens of several, uh, several dozen people who were, who were deeply impacted, personally impacted uh, by this. What, what would you want people to remember the most? from uh, this part of the, the college's history? I think that there were real people with real families. It's not so far off that, that God takes us through these things for his good and his glory. Mm. And it's okay. 
it really is okay. Um, and I'm thinking as you're saying that, if someone can say that surviving a flood, seeing their wife and son, you know, lost in that flood, taken away from you, if someone can say that having gone through what you can say, you, what, you, what you've gone through, then uh, someone who's going through something far less uh, has every privilege of saying the same thing. And uh, perhaps one of the encouragements here is to, uh, you know, the moment that I was interested to say when you said I, I was angry, I thought he's going to say he's angry at God, but <laughs> you're angry at people. I've not heard that response too often, but I get that. Uh, but I, I, I surely hope that your story will just remind people that, uh, you know, if someone can say this when they've gone through as much as they have, then we, we can certainly say the same things when we have something. I, I always say that pain is relative, and I don't mean my family is the pain. I mean, relative in the sense that, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, if someone is, you know, has lost their car uh, to something that, you know, that's hard. And I, I don't want to minimize how people feel when they go through something hard like that. You know, it's, no. uh, I, I want to respect the fact that people are a different level, you know, spiritually than we are. Uh, but I've also see, seen people kind of, you know, get bitter at God over small things. And, uh, Right. So this is just, again, a great reminder that, uh, you know, because you, you, you believed this before the flood and right. you believed it more after the flood, didn't you? I, I think there that one of the things that one of those philosophies that I came out of the flood with is that crises fix our heart the way our heart is shaped. It's like concrete setting up when when Pharaoh hardened his, God hardened Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh hardened his own mm. heart. The, the terminology is really a terminology of setting up, making it form, making it be formed more permanently the way that it sure. is. I watched some people walk away from the Lord during the, those days of the flood and I had, I watched others just overwhelmingly melted before him. So my, my philosophical approach to that sure, has sure. to do with, with um, a hardening process of crisis mm -hmm. in our life, yeah. which usually tells us if we're underlyingly angry at God, be careful because if something comes, you're going to stay that way more yeah. than you Yeah, perhaps that's why Christ, uh, he said he spoke in parables because of the, the hardness of people's hearts that they would not understand. And he he spoke to people who, whose hearts were open, and uh, God is certainly talking to us in suffering, you know, he's, or He's pointing us in suffering to His Word, where we discover, you know, who He is, who we are. We we get gain great comfort from the Scriptures. I mean, the fact that you immediately, uh, as you were being taken down that that rushing water, uh, you were quoting Scripture. Uh, you know, <laughs> hey, I just just to I, I want to circle back to one thing because I know a few people uh, might be uh, wondering about. About this, you said one of the first things you did is you grabbed someone's hand uh, in the water. Uh, was that literally you were you saw someone's hand and you reached out and were not able to, yeah, to reach? Cat, uh, Cassie Metzger, uh, she was our neighbor, mm -hmm. and uh, her hand was sticking up above the water line, and I reached for it, but I I missed it. Okay, and she she perished in the flood. She did. Wow, what a story! What a story! Um, I appreciate you sharing this. It's, uh, uh, yeah, is it is it kind of raw for you still talking about this? I mean, again, 40, 41 years later. There's a tenderness. And there's every once in a while, my first couple of years, uh, days would sneak up on me. Mm. The first year, I knew they were coming. By the second year, you start getting back into life and all of a sudden you're surprised, you're feeling depressed, you wonder why. And then you're, I would sign a check or something like that and have to put a date on it. And I, oh, this is my son's birthday. Or, wow. you know, those, those kinds of things. It, it just, and when you recognize, when I recognized it, it was like there was a relief. Yeah. That, but in these past, in these past three or four years, 
I've gone through some hard things in these past few years. I've had some times where the the, the depth of the emotions of the flood have stirred again. Mm. Kind of surprised me. Renewed that tender spirit. Yeah, it, it catches you sometimes. Yeah, I can imagine. What scripture has really driven you through these years? Well, I, I think often of that passage that I mentioned earlier in Colossians 1. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and wanting to joyfully participate in sufferings that need to be accomplished for the completion of the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, if there's suffering that still needs to be happening, I want mm-hmm. to be a part of that. Wow. I, I don't want to allow people going to hell just because I want a cushy life. That's a, that, that's a great way to wrap this up, Bob. I really appreciate your story and your willingness to share it. And I know, uh, I know people will be encouraged by this as well. So thank you so much. Thanks. Bye-bye now. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And if you want to communicate with Bob or even let me know uh, what you think of this podcast or even other podcasts, uh, please uh, write me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. Let me remind you, too, that our website, uh, beforeyouquit.us, www.beforeyouquit.us, has uh, many blogs that I've written, up to 37 podcasts that I've done. Uh, so please go there and, and listen to those. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. 